Now for agribusiness news, markets, and weather from Studio C, this is Agriculture Today. Obviously, after five years of liquidation, we all do expect to continue to see tighter supplies. Speaking at the recent CattleCon 24 in Orlando, CattleFax's Kevin Good from the CattleFax Annual Ag Outlook Seminar. We'll spend some time on demand, which obviously demand in the rearview mirror has been excellent. But as we think about our price point between us and our competition, pork and poultry, I think we do have some concerns going forward that we might be hitting the top side for a short period of time. And then we'll talk about trade. Trade in particular this past year where we had tighter supplies and higher prices, obviously we exported less product and we imported more. So we'll dig into that in a little more detail. This is Agriculture Today. It was in 1924 that the Bureau of Agricultural Economics, that's the predecessor to today's Economic Research Service, began publishing annual farm income estimates. So it's been 100 years that we've been at this at USDA. Kerry Litkowski is the lead for the farm income team at USDA's Economic Research Service. I think the goal or mission overall of producing this data has remained consistent, which is to provide information that is going to be useful to decision makers and others about the health of the farm sector. So today, the goal of the ERS Farm Income Program is to measure, forecast, and explain the indicators of economic performance for the U.S. farm sector. We release data three times a year. We had our last release last week on February 7th. With that release, we put out a revised forecast for 2023, as well as our first forecast for calendar year 2024. Speaking at USDA's Ag Outlook Forum with a general glance at some report details. This is our forecast in a nutshell, or the highlights from what we released specifically on the 2024 forecast. So starting from the top, net cash farm income for calendar year 2024 is forecast at $121.7 billion. That's about a 24% decrease from 2023 in nominal dollars. Net farm income is forecast at $116.1 billion, or about a 25 or 26% decline from 2023. Now, there are multiple factors that are contributing to this expectation for lower income in 2024. First, cash receipts for both crop and animal animal products are forecast to decline about $21 billion in 2024. Also, direct government payments are forecast to decrease almost $2 billion. And total production expenses are forecast to increase $16.7 billion, or almost 4%. And she looks at the balance sheet. Now, we also put out information on the farm sector balance sheet. And that remains relatively strong, with farm sector assets, debt, and equity each forecast to increase in 2024, with equity forecast to increase about 5%. Through a simulation, we can look at how the sector forecast might affect farm businesses and on average. So we are forecasting average net cash farm income for farm businesses to decrease 27% following the sector forecast for lower cash income to about $72,000 in 2024. Lastly, with these farm income estimates we also and forecasts, we also put out forecasts on household income. Although I won't be able to get into it today, we are forecasting that median total farm household income will remain relatively stable in 2024 at just under $100,000.
And overall cash receipts will fall. So cash receipts for crops are forecast to fall. That's one of the largest contributors to the expected decline in net farm income. And corn and soybeans account for most of the decline in crop cash receipts in 2024. This chart, I'm going back to inflation-adjusted dollars. So corn cash receipts are forecast to fall $13 billion, and soybean cash receipts $7 billion in 2024. Receipts for fruits and nuts are kind of the exception here in that they're not forecast to decline. They're forecast to increase slightly in inflation-adjusted dollars. And this largely affects higher prices for fruit, whereas for corn and soybeans, we're expecting lower prices received for farmers. Receipts for these other categories, vegetable melons, wheat, and cotton, are all forecast to decline, but remain pretty close to their level in the prior year. It's Agriculture Today. You're listening to Agriculture Today. All of us in this room, we all have a different sort of outlook, if you will, on the, the value of fed cattle. Mike Murphy is with Cattle Facts, speaking recently at the Cattle Facts annual Outlook Seminar at CattleCon 24 in Orlando. But let's just say for an example, we're going to trade fed cattle in the mid-180s on average in the next few years. We're going to sustain and improve the values of calves during that exact time frame. And that's what this data shares with you. Now, the best of it might be here in 2024, 2025. You start to get a few more calves offered up in 26, and that spread starts to narrow a little bit. But we should feel very confident about having a calf market that's going to be sustainable near $3 over the next few years. And so as that relates back to what can I afford to pay for a bred female, a bred heifer? And, and this is just a perspective for you all to look at. This may not fit anybody in the room today. It may fit all of you. But what we're trying to kind of illustrate here is, number one, is you look at that bottom part of that slide, that text that says, historically, the way that we look at the math, it takes about 4.6 calves to pay for a bred heifer. Again, not perfect. There's a lot of moving parts with that when we go back and measure this and analyze this data over time. The thing about like a $3 calf market over the course of the next three to four years on average, it would imply that you could be buying um, bred females for about $2,400 and they're going to make you some money. So we're still right today based on what our outlook is over the next few years from an economic standpoint to say, you know what, it is okay. We can step out there and, and buy more females, expand our operations. Now, is it going to be slow across the industry? Yes. Do we have some concerns relative to La Nina and its impact? For certain. We, we can't ignore those. But overall, from an economic standpoint, and the valuation of where calves are going to be, there's still opportunity to go ahead and expand your operations today. And, and we know, and Randy's going to talk more about this here in a couple minutes, you know, we need to have more expansion to continue to kind of build our, our industry back up, if you will. So is now the time to start rebuilding the herd? We've got data going all the way back to 1980 when we look at this. But for those as we start to think about where we're going to be over the next, you know, three, five, eight, ten years. And you start to look at those here in the financing sector and the valuation of what these females are going to be and how that influences your balance sheet and all these types of things. There's a high correlation to fed cattle value and bred cows. 
And you can see that pattern that we had in 2014 when we had that big sharp rally and then the real steep correction. Again, we don't believe that to be the case in this current cattle cycle. We're going to be able to sustain these values for a longer term in here over the course of the next few years. But it is important to kind of understand that if that cattle can move towards $2 on an annual average or even like $205, you're going to continue to see where bred females are going to get higher. And so if you're in a situation that you're saying and you're asking yourself, do I wait or do I do something today? I think that you have to say the answer is do something today. Because if all the things that Kevin alluded to and we get that demand that stabilized retail prices moving higher, that'll all funnel through the system and we will have higher values on the Fed cow side, which will ultimately lead to higher values on the, the bred female side as well. It's agriculture today. Ag News Now. Agriculture Today. I think the numbers speak for themselves, and that's the reality, Tony. I mean, there's, there's a lot of other things and other things that, that come into play with China, but the reality is, is that there's no market like it. Manuel Sanchez is the China Director for the U.S. Grains Council. At the Grains Council's annual membership meeting and international marketing conference in Guatemala City, you know, as it relates to corn, um, just in 2023, this past year, China imported over 27 million tons of corn. Um, it's not the record. The record was in 2021 where they brought in 28 million, but we're quite shy of that record amount. So that's, that's just corn itself. Uh, but you could look at soybeans and look at their demand, annual demand of 100 million tons. You look at sorghum. Um, it's, it's our number one market uh, for, for sorghum. Um, if you look at corn overall, over the past three years, China has consistently imported over 20 million tons. In fact, if you add up the last three years uh, of imports into China, you get close to 76 million metric tons. That's 2 billion bushels of corn. And that's why China is China, because they buy that much. And he says the fact that China continues to buy sends a very big message. I could tell you today our producers um, are feeling that China it can, is coming into the market to buy. Those bases are strong at the moment. We certainly want them to be stronger, but, but we have to kind of you know, take a step back and realize they're at the level that they're currently at because China's buying. Compared to last year, now mind you, last year we had a drought, so we weren't able to ship as much. But versus last year where we were at at this given point in the marketing year, we are 632% up. So we have sold more sorghum this year than certainly we did last year. And those are, I mean, that's music to many of our farmers' ears. That's what they want to hear. And that's what I'm here to report. I mean, we're, we're, we're starting off with a very strong export program this year. And with the sorghum demand, what is it being used for? Sorghum primarily goes into their animal feed uh, sector. China has the largest swine herd in the world. Those pigs need to be fed. Uh, sorghum factors in perfectly there because they're restricted. The private sector is restricted in the amount of corn that they could import. So sorghum gives them an outlet to bring in that energy, that starch content to go into the animal feed sector. So traditionally, I would say, 
70% of the sorghum that's imported uh, that goes to China goes into their animal feed sector. But there's, there's other markets that we, the U.S. Greens Council, have been devoted to, to developing and, um, and furthering. One of those markets is the spirits, the baijiu industry. Baijiu uh, is a Chinese liquor, one of the most widely produced liquor in the world in terms of volume, given the size of the market. They use traditionally sorghum, or in Chinese it's called gaolian, which is the term that they use. Um, so, you know, some sorghum goes into the spirits industry. It's not a lot, Tony. I'm not saying here that it's, uh, you know, it's 30%, but a portion of it goes, and every market is important. So it's an important market. We're also looking at other markets, like pet food. Um, we're also looking at uh, consumer consumer goods, uh, human consumption uh, as well, uh, you know, using sorghum as a potential rice extension. Um, so we're always looking for opportunities to expand that pie uh, of, of markets, uh, not only globally, but more specifically within the Chinese uh, demand, Chinese uh, consumer sector. Manuel Sanchez with the U.S. Grains Council. It's agriculture today. This is Agriculture Today. Farm income or farm sector profits reached a record high in 2022. And we're forecasting that farm profits will continue to decline through 2004. Carrie Litkowski is USDA's economic research lead for the farm income team, speaking at the USDA Ag Outlook Forum. First, we have net cash farm income. That's that top line there. That represents income from cash receipts, the sale of farm commodities, cash farm-related income, direct government payments to farmers, less uh, cash expenses incurred by the farmer. Net cash farm income fell in 2023 and is forecast to fall 27% in 2024. That would put it at its lowest level since 2016 and below its average for the prior 20 years. Net farm income, the blue line, this is a broader measure of profits. That accounts for both non-cash and cash income. So, for example, it includes an adjustment for changes in inventories and accounts for capital consumption. Like net cash farm income, it is forecast to have fallen in 2023 and to continue to fall about 27% in 2024. Yet it would remain above its 2020 level and pretty much at their average for the past 20 years. And what are the main contributors of the decline? As I said at the beginning, there are a lot of factors contributing. This is one of our waterfall charts where we can look at the main contributors to the decline in net farm income. I'm switching back to nominal dollars here, so no inflation adjustment. On the far left, we have the forecast for net farm income in 2023 at $155.9 billion. And then at the far right, we have the forecast for 2024 at $116.1 billion. So if we work our way from left to right, crop cash receipts are forecast to decline, almost $17 billion. When you adjust for changes in inventories, the crop value of production is forecast to fall about $18, $19 billion in 2024. Next, livestock or animal and animal product receipts are forecast to fall $4.6 billion. And production expenses, those are forecast to rise $16.7 billion. Now, they're shown as a negative here and as red because we subtract out expenses in the calculation of net income. So higher expenses would lower your income. And then lastly, government payments are forecast to fall almost $2 billion. We've also seen unprecedented ad hoc payments over the past five years. 
Another source of income to farmers are direct government payments. These are payments to farmer operations by the federal government, and we record them in the year in which they were received by the farmer. These payments in total peaked in 2022, largely because of COVID pandemic-related assistance in those, year, in those years in 2022, as shown by the purple bar segments. And since 2022, though, more than half of total government payments have come from non-pandemic, supplemental, and ad hoc disaster assistance. That's the gray bar on this chart. We are forecasting that this supplemental and ad hoc disaster assistance will decline in 2023, or that it did, and that it will continue to decline in 2024. Also on this chart, we have payments that are a function of prices. That includes agricultural risk coverage, price loss coverage, and dairy margin um, coverage programs that those are forecast to remain quite small into 2024 uh, and decrease slightly uh, from 2023 levels. And conservation payments, that's the green area. These are forecast to increase about 10% in 2024. In total, direct government payments are forecast at $10.2 billion. That is below their average for the prior 20 years. It's agriculture today. You're listening to Agriculture Today. Let's start out and think about from a big picture, what's what's our consumer look like? Kevin Good is with Cattle Facts. He was at the recent CattleCon 24 and the Cattle Facts annual Ag Outlook Seminar. It's kind of interesting out there. You know, stock market putting in new highs the last few days. So, you know, that's that sounds good. That's good. Just a bullet point as far as the way we would look at the general economic landscape as we go through this year. We've got inflation. The Fed's brought it down. They want to take it to two. We don't think they can. We think we're stuck. We think we're at three, three and a half. Interest rates, we would suggest you probably have two, maybe three quarter point cuts before this year is all said and done. GDP, we think that's going to slow as we go through the year back closer to two, maybe two and a half. Unemployment stays in the three and a half to four range. Now, you've got a consumer out there that's not afraid of getting fired. You can't find help, can you? You can't find labor. And so unemployment stays low. Therefore, you have a consumer that isn't really worried about losing his job, so he doesn't save money. It's historically low. He's already spent his COVID bucks, and he's running up the bills and credit card debt. So... As long as we have full or close to full employment, we feel like our demand side is still going to continue to be supportive to the market. But there's cautionary factors there, too. And really the cautionary factor, we would say, is just how far we've gone, how fast compared to us looking at our competition. In this chart, we're looking at retail demand from an index standpoint. So we're looking at academic demand, supply demand, taking into account for inflation. With that said, what we think retail prices will do this year is average about $7.90 a pound. Now, that, yes, is still about 4% above last year, but it's really pretty flat compared to where we closed last year in the fourth quarter. In other words, we think that we've pushed prices hard enough that now we probably have to take a breath in here and let our competition catch up or let our consumers get used to the higher prices. So you can see the message here is pretty simple, that academically, more than likely, prices will not go up as fast as supplies go down and inflation rate goes up. 
And so academically, demand is going to look a little softer this year than it has last year. Historically, it's still stout. Historically, it's still strong. But I do think we need to recognize from an academic standpoint, they're going to say, yeah, demand looks a little sluggish in here. And if we think about the way the beef complex is traded last fall in particular, we think about the way the retailer is treating uh, the ads, yeah, there's been some pushback there. I think we can all see that to some degree. Big picture, think about us versus them. This is just a message when we step back as an industry and say, what does beef demand look like today compared to 20, 30 years ago? And why are we at prices today? The dollars are in the system. Why are the dollars in the system? We've got a better product. Quality and consistency, we've got a better product. So you can see that our prices have gone up substantially faster than the rate of inflation and also substantially faster than both pork and poultry, which has put more dollars available in the system, as we all are well aware of. Obviously, if for the last six to seven years, we weren't getting those dollars. But as we move forward, the dollars are there. And it's agriculture today. Ag News Now. Agriculture Today. Well, this is our international marketing conference that we hold every year in February, and it's the one where all of our international directors and many of our international staff members uh, come in. Ryan Legrand is president and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council in Guatemala City, Guatemala, for their annual membership meeting and international marketing conference. And we spend a lot of time in, in our advisory team meetings, and these are broken down by product and by sector. And we're here we're laying out the strategies, the goals, and the tactics for the work that we're going to be carrying out the next year. And this is where our membership, the farmers and the agribusiness members, uh, get a chance to really weigh in and give input into that process. So the fact that the Grains Council is in Guatemala, does that underscore the importance of the country in trade? We do like to, to find a market where we can highlight, uh, where we can come and meet and highlight the market that we're in. And Guatemala is certainly one of those. It's the uh, largest customer that we have in Central America. They're a, a top five or six corn customer, depending on the year. Uh, they're a top ten DDG customer. For us, so it's an extremely important market, and then we're also able to highlight Central America as a whole. Uh, the collective imports that, that that they bring to the table are significant as well. And through the use of quote A teams, members give the U.S. Grains Council their marching orders. You know, we 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 do separate uh, the sectors, as I mentioned, by commodity or or by region, and we bring our folks in to provide the the, the much valued input uh, into our into our work. Funding for the Grains Council comes from members, but it's also matched by the government using a few programs. Additional MAP, market access program dollars, or the and the FMD, the foreign market development dollars, coming out of the farm bill uh, under USDA and that is that is what is matched with the membership dollars but just recently there's a new program called the Regional Agricultural Promotion Program or RAP uh, that is set to come out and really provide a shot in, shot in the arm to cooperator communities because we have not had an increase in those MAP and FMD dollars since 2006 inflation and sequestration has really eroded those dollars uh, it, today. So 
the announcement and the soon-to-be uh, allocations of this RAP fund is very, very welcome by the cooperator community. And though trade has challenges, are the opportunities bright? Legrand says... We're always looking to the future. Uh, we're looking at the near, medium, and long-term future at, at all times. We believe that uh, value-added products produced in the United States, like distiller's grains, like the high-pro products, and of course ethanol, are really an effective way to export products from the United States made here where jobs are created in the United States, and then we export that value to the world. Looking forward, we believe that bioethanol exports are really poised for growth. There's a lot of countries around the world that are adopting either low-carbon fuel standards or E10 uh, and above policies. Uh, so we expect growth in, in, in bioethanol exports. And then we've got SAF, sustainable aviation fuel, that's just right around the corner. We need a few things to fall into place to get our carbon intensity score where it needs to be to be able to supply the U.S. market and the world. Uh, but we're very, very excited for the sustainable aviation fuel market and what ethanol can do to contribute to that. Ryan Legrand, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. I'm Tony St. James. It's Agriculture Today. With Agriculture Today, here's Tony St. James. First of all, comment about weights. As we think about what we've experienced from a weather pattern the last 30 days, it's been horrific as you think about Kansas and parts of Nebraska in particular, up into the Corn Belt. We all get it. Carcass weights have dropped like a rock the last few weeks, and it's supported a stronger market beef-wise and also in the cash market as we go forward. Kevin Good is with Cattle Facts. With that said, though, from a big-picture yearly average, we would suggest that the industry will continue to be paid on pounds. And as we think about less cattle going through the system, cost of gains versus the value of fed cattle, we would still suggest when this year's done that carcass weights will be higher than they were a year ago, particularly through the second half of the year. With that said, that means your production, as you can see, will be down closer to almost 4%. 